What kind of video games do you make? What other hobbies besides your company do you have? What did you want to be when you were a kid? Join me in my class as we talk with Trent Oster from Beamdog about these questions. And more on today's episode of Grade 7's Talk to Experts, where Ty talks to video game experts. Hello and welcome to Grade 7's Talk to Experts, a podcast where Grade 7 students talk to experts and find out more about their specialty. I'm your host for this episode, Ty Van Malen. I am a student at College Park School in Lloydminster, Alberta. Before we get to our expert for this episode, I just want to be share a little bit about who we are and what we, what we, what we will be doing in our podcast. We are a class of 25 Grade 7 students in a non-traditional classroom setting, or where we are focused on experimental learning using STEAM appro- approach. That's STEAM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, art, and math. We want to answer the age old question of why do, we, why do I have to learn this by directly connecting what we study inside the classroom with the world outside the school. For our po- podcast, students will be contacting an expert that they know in their lives. This person could be an expert in their profession or a job. Or in, or in what could traditionally be considered a hobby or interest. So without further delay, I am pleased to introduce our expert for this episode, who is an expert on being a video game company owner, Trent Oster. Hi, everybody. I'm Trent, and uh, I'm the CEO of Beamdog. Let's start by getting to know you. Please tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm 49 years old. Um, I've been doing game development for 27 years. Um, I started in uh, my third year of computer science. I dropped out after my third year and we started a company that became uh, Bioware. And then I was at Bioware for 14 years and then started Beamdog with another ex-Bioware person, Cam Topher. And uh, we've been running Beamdog for the last 10 plus years. We're coming up on our 11th anniversary in June. What happened to your original company? Uh, we grew it from the six of us that originally founded it up to 420. Uh, it got sold twice. Uh, the first time it was sold to a private equity company called Elevation Partners. And the second time it was sold to Electronic Arts. All right. How many people were in your family growing up? Uh, there was three kids and the two parents. All right. Where did you live? Uh, we grew up out of acreage just south and east of Lloydminster. All right. What is your family like now? Uh, so I have a wife and a daughter, and uh, we live in Edmonton, Alberta. All right. All right. Uh, Keegan has a question about your company. Sure. Um, hello. Um, hey, do, you think, do you think you'll ever sell your company? That's a good question. Um, I would I would say never say never is one of those things that probably is the right right answer on this. There's lots of things I want to do 
with the company and a lot of products, a lot of video games I still want to make. And selling the company to somebody else could possibly be one way to, to kind of speed that along. I don't think it's the only way, but I think the way we look at it is it's an option. It's not something we're actively considering at the moment, but I think if, if it makes sense and it allows us to make the games we want to make and make them at the quality we want to make them, it's something we definitely look at. Thank you. No worries. All right. So what do you do for fun? Uh, for fun, I mostly do some blacksmithing on the side. So I make a uh, pretty decent variety of stuff. But lately, I've been kind of fixating on kitchen knives. And uh, I made a couple, a couple knives, a couple axes. So I have one that I made that I, I like. So this is an Elvish dagger. Right. So it's it's a low layer Damascus build. It's a brass handle and a, a Kieranite handle. Has a nice balance. So it's a fun hobby. Um, the reason I do it is because I can do it alone. In order to do things at Beamdog, we have 82 employees, and I need a lot of people to get anything done on the game side. Whereas my hobby, I can just do it by myself, and I don't oh. need to ask anybody on how to if they can help me. What was your coolest project blacksmithing? Ha! Huh. I'm building a sword and uh, it's both cool and really hard. <laughs> so I've basically got it to the point where I've got the blade forged out and ground down. So the next stage is to etch it and then attach the handle, attach the, the pommel and the grip and then finish it off. What type of sword is it? going to be um it's a two it's almost like a two-handed sword it's it's a, a type it's a, like, it's like a claymore or yeah it's like a smaller version of a claymore so it's a referred to as an oak shot type 25 so it's got a fairly tapering blade towards the tip um it's basically up to about my chin in height so and it's fairly light which is surprising considering how long it is yeah all right, um, Jackson's going to ask you a couple questions. Sure. Hey, Jackson. Hey. Um, all right. My question is: Did the pandemic did the pandemic help pandemic help your business grow due to people being stuck at home all day? So we did see a good bump in revenue when the pandemic first happened. So we saw sales go up almost double for the first couple months. And then it's, it stayed higher and then it slowly kind of tracked down. So on the sales side, it was a good thing, but on the development side, it was actually a bit of a negative. So making video games takes a lot of collaboration. A lot of people have to work really tightly together. And we found that people being in an office together, they tend to talk a lot, even when they're just having lunch or they're at the water cooler. And a lot of communication gets sorted out just by people chatting with each other and saying, oh, you're running into that? Oh, I saw that over here. Yeah, there's an easy way to get around that. By losing all of that, because all of our meetings are now virtual meetings, by not being in the same space, we're finding it takes longer to find those problems and to solve those problems. So positive on the sales side, it's, a, it's definitely a negative on the, on the development side. Uh, have you made a video game that you thought would fail, but turned out to be a massive success? 
Um, I don't think I would ever make something I thought was going to fail. I would really kind of, I would I bust my butt to make sure that what we were making was going to be a success or was going to be the best thing we could make. Um, when we made Baldur's Gate at Bioware, I didn't think it was going to be a big success. I thought it was going to be a, an okay title. I thought some people were going to enjoy it. And uh, I actually thought it was a bit of a disaster about probably about a year before it shipped. It was in really rough shape. And then in the last six months, it really tightened up and got a lot better. And then when I was able to actually play it through start to finish, I said, yeah, this is actually really good. And, and I, I think it'll do okay in the market. And it actually did very well. All right, thank you. All right, what was your most successful video game? Uh, so I think successful in terms of critical acclaim is probably Mass Effect 2. So during the development of Mass Effect, I was the director of technology. So my role on Mass Effect was when we decided to use the Unreal Engine, Unreal 3, to make the game. I was part of the, I led the team that went down to Epic offices in Raleigh, North Carolina. We met with their engine team. We did an evaluation on their engine. Uh, we also looked at the Valve engine, the source engine at the same time. And uh, I was, I led the group that made the decision to make those games on Unreal and then oversaw kind of studio-wide the technical challenges of making games in Unreal. Great. Um, what was your most glitchy video game? Huh. What was the most glitchy one? Probably Baldur's Gate 1. It went out. It definitely had issues when it launched, and there were some, some odd things that happened with it. But back in those days, I mean, that's how games shipped. We tested them as much as we could. We fixed everything, but there were so many items and so many things in the game. Like we released new versions of them called the enhanced editions and patched them up and we're still fixing things 20 years after the game shipped. Yeah. What's, what was school like when you were younger? Um, probably pretty familiar to what you guys are only less computers and no cell phones. So um, it was a lot of outside time, a lot of building things, a lot of playing with Lego. I spent a, a lot of times dreaming about building things, and then we would we would just start building them. We're like, hey, we should build a catapult. So we would spend a weekend building a catapult. All right. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, I either wanted to be a demolitions expert in the military or a video game developer. So, hey, one out of two is not bad. Yeah. If someone were, were to write a book about you, what would be a good title? Uh, how hard could it possibly be? <laughs> That's the question yeah. I always ask before I start something. And the answer is always, oh, my God, it's so hard. But I just ask that. I'm like, how hard could it be? I'm going to try it. I'll throw myself at it. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reasonably smart guy. I'll work hard. I'll figure it out. And so far, it's almost always true. I can almost always figure out what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to accomplish and I'll, I'll get something done and nothing else. I'll learn a lot about how things are built and, and why I should never do it the way I, I started doing it. All right. I'm going to give the floor to Teamer. He has a couple of questions for you. 
Sure. Hi, Timur. Hi. Um, so I'm actually interested in making games too. So my question is, do you use a game engine? And if you do, what, what, what is it? So all of our historic games have been built on proprietary tech, which means tech we built in-house or that we built at another company. But future, our games are, are going to be based on Unreal. So we're already working with Unreal right now. And uh, we're in the betas on a couple of their new features. So lots of fun stuff to play with. Um, I think if you want to do big scale projects, Unreal is the best choice right now. I think if you want to get experience and get working in a smaller team, um, the, the Unity engine is a good place to start. But the day of building engines in game studios is past because it's just too expensive. It takes so much money and so much effort. So it just makes so much sense to license and, and Epic right now with the Unreal Engine is in such a great position. Thank you. No worries. All right. Can you tell us about experience where you chose to, where you chose to give your best effort? <sighs> so, Bioware did a video game called Neverwinter Nights. And uh, Neverwinter Nights, the idea was it's going to be a role-playing game that you can play multiplayer with your friends, but it's also going to include a tool set so that people can go and build their own adventures. And then it's also going to include a Dungeon Master client so people can jump in and actually control monsters and, and non-player characters and other things in the environment while people are playing and adventuring in the game. So we sat down and we wrote out literally just a couple sentence description of what we were going to make. And I took five years to build that out. So during that time, I was leading the project as the project director. So really kind of dictating what the game was, driving design decisions, story decisions, everything about the game. And then in the evenings, I was actually doing 3D art and modeling all the weaponry in the games. So I'd work a day, a full day doing production work. And then from 7 till 10 at night, I would build 3D models for weapons in the game. And uh, it was a hard, hard push. It took a lot of effort. We, we built our own engine from scratch while we built the video game, when, while we built a tool set and a Dungeon Master client. So it was a lot of work. All right. How many lines of code did that game have? I think by the time we were done, it was about one and a half million lines. Wow. Yeah, which was a lot of code. And uh, it's really hard to find bugs in that much code. Yeah. How many people do you have working at Beamdog right now? Uh, Beamdog is 82 full-time people right now with another couple hires on the deck. So we're going to be 85 in a month or two. All right. Uh, in your opinion, what makes someone an expert? An expert is somebody who's not afraid to try things different ways and is comfortable with the failure so that they gain the knowledge. To become an expert is to really get to a spot where you can understand what people are asking about and you can you can actually get to the heart of what they're really asking for and your knowledge of the area that you work in 
is sufficient. You've tried enough different approaches that you can suggest an optimal approach for what they're trying to solve. All right. I'm going to ask Henry to come up and ask you some question, ask you a question. Sure. Sure. Hey, Henry. Hey, um, what are the names of all the games you've made? All the games I've, I've directly made or I've been involved with? Because uh, oh, okay. I'll, I'll hit all the games I've been involved with. So making a game is really hard. It takes a big team and it takes a lot of people. And, and there's, by the end of it, there can be hundreds of people touching games. And we're actually reaching a point now in the industry where teams like Rockstar for Grand Theft Auto, your teams are almost a thousand people at peak. So I worked on a Sherwood title called Blasteroids 3D. I did art and programming and sound effects on that. And I did uh, Shattered Steel, where I was a 3D modeler and I did some cinematic work and did some UX work. Then I worked on Baldur's Gate just briefly. Um, actually, he was a QA person. I ran a multiplayer uh, test lab with uh, another artist. I uh, helped on Baldur's Gate 2, uh, worked on MDK 2, what became MDK 2. It was actually Shattered Steel 2, and then Shattered Steel 2 got canceled, and MDK 2 got stood up in its place. That's where I met my business partner, Cameron. Uh, then after MDK 2, I started on Neverwinter Nights. Um, I led Neverwinter Nights all the way through, uh, did two expansion packs for Neverwinter Nights, Shadows of Undertide and Hordes of the Underdark. Then I was director of technology while we did uh, Mass Effect, and I was involved in Dragon Age and building the technology that Dragon Age used, the uh, Aurora engine, or sorry, the Eclipse engine, and worked on Dragon Age 1 and Mass Effect 1, and I worked on an unreleased title that was called Agent. It was in development at Bioware, never shipped. And then left, started Beamdog, and worked on, uh, again, MDK2. We ported it to the Wii, and we made an HD version. Then we did uh, Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition, and we ported that to every platform under the sun. So it's on PC, Mac, iOS, Android, Linux, Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. Then we did Baldur's Gate 2, Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, and Neverwinter Nights ported all of those ones. And then uh, recently we built Axes and Allies Online, which is on Steam now. And we're in development on a yet unannounced game. Thanks for answering my question. No um, did you play video games as a kid? And if so, what were they? Yeah, I played uh, a lot of video games. Um, I started playing video games when my mother brought home an Apple II Plus computer because she was doing some bookkeeping with an accountant. And uh, we got an Atari 2600, played with that, and then uh, eventually got a Nintendo, uh, Super Nintendo, uh, SNES. All right. At this time, I'm going to open the mic up to anyone who wants to ask you questions. Sounds good. Hello, my name is Adley, and my question is, what could someone who is interested in video games be doing in grade seven that would make them success successful in the future? Um, I think the right thing is just start thinking about video games. And when you play a video game, 
try and understand the thought process that went behind it. Uh, when you do a, when you guys read a book, you have to sometimes write up a book report. Think about doing a book report on a video game. Write down the things you like about it and write down the things that you don't like. And then try to think about why the game is the way it is, why the developers made the decisions they did, and why they have certain skills or things that your characters can do. It'll give you an understanding of, of what the component parts of video games are, and you'll be much more well-informed going forward. Hi, I'm Zeta. Um, are you a Samsung or Apple person or something else? So it depends on what platform. So at work, at desktop, I use a PC. At home, I use a MacBook. My phone is an Apple iPhone. It has been for probably a decade or better. Um, the main reason I use Apple products is that I fight with technology all day. I just want a phone that works. And we have a lot of Android devices in the office. We have about at any given point, probably your 40 or 50 different tablets and phones, and they all are different. They all put the settings in a different place. They all behave in different ways. And it just, every time I go to use an Android device, I got to relearn parts of the interface. I'm old and lazy at this point. I just want it to work. So that's what drives me back to the Apple ecosystem. Um, hello, my name is Finley, and um, what do you think is the best game genre? What is the best game genre? Personally, I like RPGs, especially kind of the, the ones that skew a little more action, because you get all the great things of an, action, of an action game, but then you get the story, the characters, and that progression mechanic where your character is becoming better over the course of the game. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's rare for me to finish a game today because most games I fire them up and I'm like, oh, I know what they did there. Oh, I see that. I disagree with that. Okay, I'm done. And I walk away. Um, I actually finished uh, Cyberpunk 2077 on PC. It was, it was actually, there were moments in there. It's just great storytelling. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn before that was probably the, the other game I enjoyed a lot. Really love the Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor games. Everybody loves one kind of city climber. That was mine. Some people are Assassin's Creed people. Some people are Batman people. I'm totally Shadow of Mordor. Your little orcs get so happy when they level up. You're like, yeah, you go, orc buddy. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, my name is Blake, and my question is, what is the most advanced game you have ever made, and what is it about? The most advanced? Well, I think everything happens in a timeline, in a time slice. So the most advanced game I made at the time was Neverwinter Nights, because it was the only game that built, and not only was multiplayer from the ground up, could support up to 64 players on a server that you could run yourself, but you could link servers together over the internet. You had your own tool set to build your own content. You had a DM client that could jump into it. It had multiple expansions and the ability to add in all sorts of content. So the complexity and technical challenge in the timeline was amazing. And it, it literally took five years to build the tech and the game together. And it was a lot of work.
Thanks for answering my question. You're welcome. Hello, me again. Hey. Um, my question is, what skills do you look for in your employees? The answer is yes. We look for skills in our employees. Um, it depends on the job. It depends on, on our needs as a company. I mean, one of the big things you almost have to look at as a job applicant is what is the company trying to do and how do my skills allow them to accomplish what they're doing better? If you can think in that context, when you apply for a job, it's, it's that much easier to kind of move yourself ahead. So I feel like if you've got really good programming skills and you know the company's trying to solve some challenging technical problems, you can say, I'm a programmer and I could help you with this. I could move this forward. So from a programming standpoint, or I think there's some general things we look for. One is teamwork. Games are never made by one person, so you have to be able to work with other people. And the better you are at integrating and, and working with people, the easier you're gonna have a, a career in the industry. Um, other things, being self-motivated and, and taking ownership. So if you say, okay, I'll, I'll grab this and I'll get, I'll get it done. You need to be able to take it away and carry it through to the finish line. And when you deliver it, it works. Um, from a skills standpoint, I mean, it depends on what area you're applying for. If you're an artist, there's concept artists who literally just, they, they draw design ideas and solve visual problems to come up with new interesting looks or concepts on, on how things could be built. So theirs is almost all drawings and imagination and design process. Whereas game designers, it's about being able to construct a scenario or storyline or, or a skill tree progression that works and makes sense and being able to carry that to the finish line. And programmers, it's, it's about being able to write effective performant code. So code that works is easy for other people to dig into and look at and work, easy to debug, and it runs runs quickly. So lots of skills required. Um, and next, Xbox, PlayStation, or PC? So right now, I'm back to PC. I was an Xbox, so I was, um, when the original Xbox launched, I played Xbox, then I swapped to PlayStation. Then I swap back to Xbox, so and then I'm back at PC. But I, I do have a PlayStation at home and an Xbox. At home. All right, thank you. Hello, my name is Caleb, and uh, how much line of code does a DLC or expansion pack take? Um, DLCs are kind of curious because sometimes you actually don't write any code for them. You actually just use the existing features that are there and just implement new design features or new design content. So it's mostly in scripting. Um, if I were to think probably under 200,000 lines of script code on most DLCs that we built. And those are fairly big DLCs. Like we built Seizure Dragon Spear for Baldur's Gate. That was probably a 25, 30 hour DLC. And it's, it's in a ballpark, 200,000. Thank you for answering my question. 
Hey, I'm back. Um, my question is, do you have any cars? Yes, I like cars. And uh, I have... So in the winter, I daily drive a truck. It's just a Dodge pickup, 4x4. Um, in the summer, I drive a Porsche Cayman S. It's a little older. Um, it's a little modified, but not much. Um, I currently own a 1952 Mercury pickup truck that I'm building into a lowrider rat rod. I also own a 1993 Mazda RX-7 that I'm building into a race car. I had sold my previous race car, which was a, a 1988 Mazda RX-7 Turbo 2. Um, it was, so uh, Turbo 2 stock makes about 160, well, without the turbo, 160 horsepower, with the turbo, about 200. And we had, we had gutted the car, got it down to 2,500 pounds, and we had the motor up to about 525 horsepower. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and it was punishing. And uh, eventually just kept breaking parts so quickly that I just got tired of it and sold it. And uh, now we're in the process of building another race car, me and a, a friend of mine. Thank you. All right, I have a question. Did you ever race cars? Yes, I uh, raced sports cars as a, as a hobby. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of endurance racing, which is typically team-based. Um, so you, you sign up for like a 10-hour race. And there's normally a team of three or four drivers and you're limited to a maximum about two hours each. And uh, we all work together, prep the car, drag it out to where we're going to race. And uh, we have a ton of fun. The last summer we raced out in Oliver, BC. It was the first uh, public race allowed at, uh, at the one racetrack, Area 27. And uh, it was so much fun. It was a great racetrack. It has like crazy elevation changes and uh, it's really fast. All right. What was your worst accident racing? Uh, my worst accident wasn't that bad. Um, I lost it in the rain. I came around a corner and the back end stepped out and the car kept going. It did about a 270 degree spin. And then the front bumper hit a concrete retaining wall and spun the car the other way. And then it wound up just about parallel to the racetrack. So I quickly looked. There was nobody else coming. Drove back onto the track did a quick swerve to make sure all four wheels were still attached and then uh, just kept racing. Oh, actually there's one, there's one that's worse than that. Um, I was at the Indy support race at the Edmonton airport in the turbo car on an inside straight, coming towards an inside straight or on an inside straight headed towards a concrete wall. I got up to about a hundred miles an hour and then I stomped the brake pedal and there was no brakes. <laughs> So I threw the car into a spin and it started spinning and I wound up sliding into the door of another car and just, just bumped into him, dented the back end of my car, didn't even break the fiberglass on his door. He drove away. I took a minute, collected myself, got the car refired, quick swerve to make sure all four wheels are still attached and then started driving. But uh, I still had no brakes. So I just drove it around into the pits. It turned out the 560 degree brake fluid I had had boiled because one of the cooling ducts had folded up. That's not good, eh? Uh, it's a high pucker factor. Did you have a, ever have a fire in your uh, cabin? Um, no, but I had a fire extinguisher go off. I was driving and the fire extinguisher blew up and I'm trying to remember where the racetrack is when I can't see anything. I'm trying to hang my head out the window because fire extinguisher dust is horrible and horrible to breathe. 
And uh, for the next three races, there was always some fire extinguisher dust coming out of somewhere in the car. Even after I vacuumed it and sprayed it with an air hose, it's still just smoke, there's dust coming out of somewhere. It's horrible stuff. All right. Thank you for coming, Trent. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. We learned a lot about your company and, your, and yourself. Thank you to my classmates for the questions, and thank you, listeners. Have a great day. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time when Elizabeth talks to an expert in Taekwondo. to hear from you. Send your questions, show ideas, or any other feedback to talkingtoexperts at gmail.com.